Hi, this is Steven. I once trained and worked as an actor in Hollywood. Today, I host Hollywood and Beyond podcast here in my hometown of Cincinnati, where I strive to bring you meaningful interviews. I hope you will enjoy my podcast. Thanks for listening. This is Anna East Eden. You're listening to Hollywood and Beyond with Stephen Brittingham. Enjoy. Send host Stephen Brittingham your comments and questions to Hollywood and Beyond Show at gmail.com. That is Hollywood and Beyond Show at gmail.com. Stephen looks forward to hearing from you soon. Hi, this is Carrie Genzel, actor, producer, writer, and creator of stateofslay.com. Slay in this case being an acronym for self-love, appreciate you. State of Slay is a blog that I created documenting my journey from the darkness of depression to living in the light today and focusing on the positive. It is a safe place to encourage one another and walk together as we find empowerment and self-love. I hope you'll join me on my blog, stateofslay.com, where we walk and slay together. Slay on. Welcome, friends and listeners, to Hollywood and Beyond Podcast, your home for meaningful and in-depth interviews. Thank you for listening. And now, your host, actor and writer, Stephen Brittingham. Hello, friends and listeners. Welcome to Hollywood and Beyond Podcast your home for meaningful interviews. I am your host, actor, and writer, Stephen Brittingham. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. Adoption. Something that is done with love, resulting in endless benefits for all involved. I should know because I was adopted by my biological father's parents. And my grandparents literally saved me from being sent to an orphanage. I was pretty much, when it comes to them, the last hope that I had. My special guest today is the talented and lovely Jen Lilly. Multi-talented too. Actress, senior, advocate. And Jen also happens to be a foster and adoptive parent herself along with her husband. She is a voice for children who cannot speak for themselves. By supporting children's rights and raising awareness, which is also very important, to those who may bring them harm. As an actress, she left her mark on daytime television when she appeared as Teresa Donovan on NBC's Days of Our Lives. In film, she appeared in the Academy Award-winning film, The Artist, 
And perhaps you have seen her on numerous Hallmark Channel productions. I'm going to have to start keeping an eye out for her. She also has a phenomenal singing voice. And lately, she has also become a podcast host. Wow, what an amazing lady. Jen Lilly, welcome to Hollywood and Beyond. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited to chat today. Well, it's my absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining me today. I'm so excited to speak with you. The more I learn about you, the more impressed I become. And I just can't wait to talk to you today and learn more about you. Awesome. Well, it is so nice to have you here, Jen. And where are you joining me from today, by chance? I am still sheltering in place (laughs) over (laughs) in Los Angeles, California. Gotcha. Well, I hope you and family are all safe and well. I know this has certainly been a a challenging year for all of us. And you and I were talking off the air just a moment ago that neither of us expected for 20 20 to uh, begin and and turn out the way that it did. I don't think any of us did for that matter. Yeah, no, I don't think anybody could have foreseen 2020 coming except for God himself. And, um, you know, it's been painful and it's been excruciating. Um, and I think it's been humbling. I think it's brought on a lot of really good conversations. I think, you know, starting out the year with coronavirus and the pandemic and all of the fear and panic that that brought, I think it really forced people, you know, not to be, not to have a pun, but I do love puns, you know, to have 2020 vision, where for me, it really made me, I've always valued family. I've always valued family. It's definitely a core principle and value of mine. But, you know, I'm from Virginia originally, and it's really made me just appreciate so much more the fact that I can't just get on a plane and go see my parents whenever I want, you know, or my siblings. And, and I think it just really made me um, refocus on my family. And I'm hoping that what comes out of the pandemic side of things is that people will start to crave face-to-face, eye-to-eye interaction again, you know, because we're so involved with our tablets and our phones and, and, you know, whatever our electronics are. And I think that's all the way to past time right now. But I think we've used it to past time so much in recent um, days and months that, you know, I'm hoping people are tired of it because we need to have these conversations. And then with the racial tension and, I mean, it's not just a race issue. I think for me, it's a matter of the heart. You know, this is about abuse of power, um, oppression that goes on in so many broken systems. Obviously, foster care is a broken system. And, and I think it's, for me personally, it's made me really humble myself and search my heart. You know, I always want to have a soft heart, but I think your heart can always get softer. I think your love can always grow. And so what I'm hoping comes out of 2020, you know, we're about halfway through, we're in June. And I am just so hoping that this is more of a growing pain that is forcing us to reevaluate family, friendship, and relationships and real, honest, transparent conversations. Because if we don't bring that to the table, I don't think we can move forward as a society. So I think this is a kind of can-be-beautiful way to to cause us to reevaluate where we are, slow down as a society and as a world, and appreciate people for people. Well said, Jen. I, I wholeheartedly agree with you on that. 
And, you know, I often think of the fact that if, you know, folks don't learn something from this experience and then all of Mm -hmm. these other new challenges, um, and some of these challenges have been around for decades, but what I'm trying to say is if we don't all learn from 2020 in particular, you know, we're Mm -hmm. really missing a golden opportunity to um, have more appreciation for those we care about and also think about helping people in need much more than perhaps we did in the past. Yeah, I certainly hope so. Well, thank you, Jen. Well, now, how about we go back to where you are from? Okay. Um, yeah, so I grew That's up going in way back. <laughs> yeah, going way back. I grew up in uh, Roanoke, Virginia, which is not the lost colony. Many people think that. Um, <laughs> it's a decent-sized city. <laughs> I'm like, no, that's like a lost colony, literally, somewhere in the Atlantic, we think. Um, yeah, and, and I think for Virginia, it's a pretty big city. My understanding last night I checked, which was, you know, honestly, like 12 years ago, so who knows, um, is it's like the third largest city in Virginia, but that's really not saying much. It's the third largest. It's called the Star City of the South. Yeah, third largest. Bragging <laughs> <laughs> rights. The top five. That's good. Yeah, yeah, top five. Um, but it's really lovely, and I, I love my hometown. It's so beautiful. I mean, Virginia is insanely beautiful as a, a state. Anyway, I mean, it's. I went to Ireland with Jason before kids. Um, we were going to fly back to Virginia to actually see our family one time, and the flights to Virginia were more expensive than the flights to Ireland. And so we were like, "Shoot, wow. let's go to Ireland." So we went to Ireland, and <laughs> I was like. Ireland was awesome, you know, but wow. I just was like, it's not more beautiful than Virginia, which is crazy. So that's yeah. how beautiful Virginia is. It's really <laughs> lovely. And oh, um, yeah, I grew I, up I there. Imagine. I went to college there. and Yeah, it's so beautiful. Um, and I think in general, people are nice there, but I don't know. I think every city has, every town has people that you don't need to associate with. And I think you can find nice people anywhere. I really believe that, but. I would say my experience with Virginia is that people are kind and I want to believe that. Um, And yeah, I went to college there and felt in college, I really felt led to acting. That's when I I got bit by the acting bug, I guess. And I studied the business of acting, um, which is kind of unique, I guess, because uh, I just love storytelling and I love people. And for me, acting is about putting on empathy and standing in somebody else's shoes and just really taking on their perspective. And I value that. And so um, I think there's a lot of really successful actors who are not that talented, but they work. And I think there's a lot of talented actors who don't work. So for me, it comes down to business and that's any business, you know? And so I really started getting the business of acting and that's, that's how I came to LA. I just made a plan and, and stuck to it. Well, you're right. There is a reason they call it show business, Um, uh, You know, early in my career, Jen, I was always very intrigued by the business side. It was something that was actually Mm -hmm. very conscious of. And I actually enjoyed that aspect. Um, When I say business side, I mean training, getting an agent, uh, uh, networking, all of those kind of things. So um, that's very nice to hear. Um, I am very curious. Oh, by the way, what a wonderful description of acting which I totally I can connect with because I often tell people that's my favorite thing about acting is, is empathy for others. And when I'm watching something and I'm using my imagination, let's say I can 
put mm-hmm. myself in other people's shoes and I can go, you know what? Look what these people are dealing with. Or why did that person right. make that decision? Oh, I mean, you're right. right. Storytelling, all of that. So no wonder you became yeah, an actress. So yeah. But I'm very curious, Thank Jen, you. if you don't mind, what did you like to do for fun while you were growing up? Oh, I played outside a lot. Um, outside girl? I, mean, I know I used to love her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love, I still do. I still love hiking. Um, nice. I played in the woods a lot as a kid. I rode my bike, you know, played with the neighborhood kids. And played board games. Like, I still, I'm just like, an old school person. I, I still love a barbecue or cooking out and just like staying at home with your family and playing board games, you know, like COVID to me at first, it was like, this is not so bad except my kids aren't old enough to play board games. And my four year old barely understands Candyland. So it got a little old, (laughs) but you know, it's like what I crave is like going home and, you know, grilling out with my my family and just like staying awake till 1am laughing way too loud, you know, playing taboo and categories and, you know, I just love games, but, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I feel like I had a pretty, I was very blessed in that I had a traditional childhood, you know, and I'm, it's not lost on me how fortunate I am that my parents are still married and they still love each other. I mean, I really, I really, hit gold. I mean, my family is amazing. My husband's family is amazing. Um, and I know that, you know, obviously being a foster care advocate and, uh, dealing with child abuse and being a child advocate in general, I know that's not the norm for, for a lot of people. Um, so I, I really am grateful for, for how I grew up. Well, thanks for sharing that. Sounds like so much fun and sounds like you still like to have fun. I mean, I, I love board games too. I grew up in the eighties, so you know, board games were huge yeah. during that decade, believe it or not. Oh, huge. So yeah. I totally understand oh, where you're please. coming from. And hey, <laughs> there's nothing like just hanging out with your family, like you said, having a nice meal and just enjoying the evening together. I mean, yeah. that, that's just absolutely wonderful. Now, I, I came across something interesting about you, Jen. So you'll have to tell me if it's true. Um, oh, so, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, don't worry. What it's nothing too scandalous. <laughs> so you're okay. You don't have to worry. I'm transparent. It's fine. I'm not worried. <laughs> I have much to hide. Well, I came across that perhaps you owned and operated a wedding cake business out of your parents' oh, home. Yeah. 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 Out of my <laughs> so parents' kitchen true. in high school. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. My parents were very patient with me. And that, uh, yeah, my mom let me take over the kitchen every once in a while. And, you know, you just, you get these huge wedding cake orders. Yeah, that started because I, it's so funny. I mean, you can't tell, even by the way I do interviews, like I'm very A-type, you know, even the fact that I studied the business of acting. It's like I'm very goal-oriented, very organized, very A-type personality. And so I had no aspirations of becoming an actor. I mean, what a sloppy thing to do with your life if you grew up in Virginia, you know? This is like what people do. And so um, I remember I just, I, I went to UVA and, and just like worked my rear end off to go to UVA, you know, my whole life. It was like, and I still think this about myself. I am never going to be the smartest person in the room. Um, but I might be the hardest worker. I think I will outwork everybody. And that's what my husband says to me. And I'm like, I believe it. Like I work really hard. And so when I was in high school, um, it's like my whole life was how do I get to the university of Virginia? And I had done 
all the extracurriculars, et cetera, that I needed to do. And my senior year of high school, I believe it was my senior year of high school, it's just more flexible. Um, you know, like you've already done all, like junior year of high school to me, even with college, worst year of my life. Like anybody that's a junior in high school, if they happen to tune into your podcast, um, and being normal school, God bless those juniors because it is a trying year. That's when you got to get into college. So senior year, my high school had an elective class and it was called cake decorating. And I remember my older brother took that class because he, my older brother, Michael, is one of those people that did just like write the essay on the bus on the way to school and got straight A's. It was like, meanwhile, I had been writing the essay for three months and I got a B plus, like a 93, one point from a 94. And it killed me. You know, like, I'm never going to get a GPA with this GPA. Like I've always been a workaholic. <laughs> and so senior year, I was like, you know what? I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to take a playbook, you know, a page out of my brother's playbook. I'm going to take a cake decorating class, but because I'm OCD, I really got into the cake decorating. and was good at it. And so I brought home a, a wedding cake, my final. And one of my mom's friends was at home and she was engaged and getting married. And she was like, I want you to make my wedding cake. And I was like, absolutely. You do not. And that was where it started. <laughs> I made her wedding cake. And at her, at her wedding, it was wow. just like, people were like, will you make my anniversary cake? Will you make my wedding cake? Will you oh. whatever? And I was like, I mean, I guess. So yeah, it was Must have tasted pretty good and looked good. <laughs> tasted good and looked good. Yeah, I do not mess <laughs> with fondant. And even as a mom or, you know, like as a pseudo celebrity, it's like, you know, I don't care whether it's in a magazine or not. I will not with the fondant. It is nasty. <laughs> I don't care how good it looks. If it doesn't taste good, I'm out. We are talking about birthday cakes, which there's enough yeah. pressure there. You're talking about something that, that is extra important to oh, someone, gosh. a wedding cake. So I did know. you feel any pressure there? Oh, oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I probably prayed for an hour before I would like do the piping. Like, God, please don't <laughs> let me ruin their life. <laughs> wow. For sure. Well, that's a nice memory. Um, and I definitely wanted to ask you about that. Now, obviously, I've mentioned your involvement with foster care and adoption. How about growing up? Were your parents involved with either of those? Yeah. Sort of. Um, my dad has since retired, but he was a judge. Um, he was a lawyer. You know, he was a prosecuting lawyer, and then he became a judge, um, which is the route. <laughs> um, and then my mom was a director of a women and children's charity. And... You know, the goal of foster care in all 50 states is that you really want to keep the child with their birth family when possible. Um, children in foster care, they are not associated with the juvenile delinquent system. That's where they're headed if, if nobody intervenes and steps in and loves them. But the truth is they're children who found themselves in a broken system through no fault of their own. But because the goal is reunification with family, like you really just want to get those parents help, you know, if, it, if they're child is in care because the parent is a drug addict, then the state and the county and hopefully the foster parent, if they're a loving person, is going to do everything they can to help that parent get back on their feet. That's the goal of foster care. Now, that is the white picket fence goal of foster care. That's not what foster care is, the messy system, but that is the surface goal. And so because of that, you want to remain unbiased and you want to be pro-reunification. Um, but because of my parents' jobs, obviously, you know, my dad is a just judge or was, you know, like, cause and he, he still would be if he was practicing. I mean, my dad loves the law. I've never met anyone who loves the law and wants it to work. And it's also a broken system. You know, our legal system is broken, but the, the laws themselves and the constitution itself should work if it was carried out honorably as lawyers are supposed to carry it out. Um, 
but because you have influence and they had influence, they just didn't want to get their official license as foster parents because it's entangling and, you know, they want to say that they are unbiased. So they were kind of informal foster parents. That's what I call it. So we often had people um, living in, in our house that just weren't part of the family and they were either friends of the family or friends of friends that just needed a kind of a hand up and um, help transitioning in life. And so the idea of somebody outside of my family living with me was not new and it wasn't scary. Um, and it, and it planted a lot of empathy in me as a child. So that definitely, um, I think that's where it started for me. Yeah. So it planted a seed with you or let's put it this way. It had a, a lasting impact on you. Yeah. And just made the whole idea of foster care less scary to me. Because a lot of foster parents, you know, I think they don't take kids cause they're scared and it's like, Oh, you're mm. scared. These kids are scared. You know, and these kids are placed into care. They don't know why. Nobody tells them. Oftentimes, this is what it looks like for a child. First of all, if they're experiencing severe child abuse, sometimes they don't even know that that's not normal. A lot of times they know instinctively it's not normal. But regardless, I mean, you want to study Stockholm Syndrome, you still have a love for your mom or dad. You still have that family tie. And so... Um, but a lot of times it could be neglect or substance abuse or something that child's not even aware of, and it's just not a safe situation. And so they are taken out of the only home that they know with all of their toys and all of their clothing. They have friends at school, and they are not told where they're going. They're not told what mommy or daddy did. They're not told, you know, anything. And and if they are even given the five minutes to pack up, that social worker is going to pack their stuff in trash bags. But most oftentimes in care, these kids don't even get their stuff packed in trash bags. So then they're driven and the social worker who picks them up is not the caseworker. So he or she generally does not know the details of the case. So they can't answer the child's question. So this child, and put yourself in the, the, this, the situation of the child. They're put in the back of a car. They don't know where they're going. They don't know what they did wrong. They don't know what their parents did wrong. They don't know anything. And then they're dropped off at some stranger's door and told, this is your new family. So they arrive at your house in terror and in trauma. And it doesn't matter whether you are a loving foster home, though I would believe that I, I still believe that about 65, 70% of foster homes are hell holes. I'm very transparent about that. It's my huge part of my advocacy is that in order to change the system, we need to recruit better foster parents because there's a 50% turnover in foster parents year after year. And that's because it is emotional. It's extremely trying. You know, these kids do arrive at your door with trauma and they need a lot of therapy and they need a lot of love and they're not excited to be in your house generally, you know, and that's okay. But the good foster parents burn out because they don't feel like they have support, which is why I started my podcast, Fostering Hope, you know, because until you find community, because you can't relate to anybody that's not in foster care, you can't, it's not normal parenting. You can kind of talk to another parent, but they don't get it. You know, it's like I can talk to a veteran and I can imagine what it's like to be in war, but I don't get it. I can honor them. I can support them, but I do not get it. I have not been through war. And it's the same thing for foster parents. So they, they burn out. And the ones that aren't burning out are the ones that don't care, the ones that are doing it for money. And it's like insane to me because there's not a lot of money involved in foster care. But I suppose if you're not using that money for your children in your care, then it's a free paycheck. And that's ridiculous. So... Um, 
yeah, I mean, I don't even know really how I got on that other than, like, that's why I'm an advocate. And these kids show up at your door with so much trauma. And I can't help but advocate for them and, and want to change the system. And I think it can be changed. Because here's the stat. So I care about a lot of issues. Um, and I think it's important to call, uh, care about a lot of issues. And I think it's important to lend your voice to so many causes. You know, and we're seeing that with 2020, obviously. You know, I want to lend my voice to Black Lives Matter and to my Black brother and sisters who have felt oppression in our country. And that's a very real thing. And I want to lend my voice to them. But that does not mean that I only have to lend my voice to them. It means I do need to lend my voice to them. But I can also lend my voice to foster care. I can also lend my voice to homelessness. I also have the authority to lend my voice to things that I care about. And it doesn't lessen the cause or the impact of my voice for other causes. So statistically, with foster care... 50% 50% won't graduate high school. 50% of our homeless population in our nation came from foster care. Upwards of 70 to 80% of our incarcerated came from foster care. Upwards of 70 to 98% uh, of our, and, and that statistic um, waxes and wanes like that, 70 to 98%, because state by state, it's different. But upwards of 98% of our human trafficking victims here in the United States came from foster care. So it's an extremely broken system, but here's the hopeful statistic. And, and it will change when you get the good foster parents in there and you get them to not burn out. If you can retain good foster parents, you can change the statistics. Um, if one person or one household, so because you can foster whether you're a single parent or not, that's a huge misconception in foster care. Um, but if one household out of every three churches in the United States fostered, you would have no more children waiting for care. And you would have thousands, thousands of homes licensed and ready to operate and open their doors to a child who have the right motives, who want to love that child, who are committed to their therapy and healing, and who I bet are also committed to their birth family's healing. And so that's what we need. One household out of every three churches. Stephen, that's like one out of every 750 people. Those are numbers I like. Because numbers are numbing, but when you can break it down to such a hopeful number, that's when you're going to see people get involved. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I really liked how you brought up the issue of it's not just, you know, getting them out of a home where there are a lot of serious issues. It's also important to put them wherever they may be staying in a, in a healthy and positive environment, mm-hmm. in, in a caring environment, mm-hmm. because otherwise you're just going from worse to worse Abuse. or bad mm-hmm. to worse. It, 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 no, that's I not going to help. It's not going to help at all. You know, I just learned yesterday, actually, that kids in foster care are two times more likely to experience PTSD than a veteran. I mean, if that's not mm. eye-opening to you, I don't know what is. And it's because, just like you said, if you go from abuse and neglect from your birth family, there's a kind of a Stockholm syndrome. and I don't, I'm sure there's a, a specific psychological name for it, but I don't know what the name for it is. But there is an issue where you can justify your own family. And you can say, you know what? My mom and dad lost their job. And so my mom needs to drink because of that. And she hits me, but she loves me, but she hits me because of whatever. Or she, you know, I don't know. They make excuses because it's not just hitting. And we're not talking about spanking here. Foster care is not an issue of spanking. And I don't condone spanking, but I want to be clear. What we're talking about here 
is things that will make you vomit. So I'll spare the people the stories. But we're we're not. I mean, I'm talking horrific situations. Right. Um, but you can still kind of justify it when it comes from family. But when you right. go from from abuse and neglect by family members to abuse and neglect by a stranger, mm. what's the common denominator? Children are smart. The common denominator is me, is what the child thinks. Oh, I must be the problem. So it's not just mom and dad's abuse. It must be me. It's me. I'm broken. I'm wrong. And that starts a huge psychological trauma, which is why they don't, you know, they go to jail or they end up homeless. They have no self-esteem. But if you get the right people fostering and you can keep them in foster care, you're going to see incredible change. And I have so much hope for it because the statistics are there. One out of every three churches, we can do that. And for people that don't want to be a foster parent, you know, I think it's everybody's issue because these are our children. These are our children, whether they're in your neighborhood or not. They're our children. They are our problem. It's not an us and them. That goes for any issue. You know, it's the same thing with race, the race issue going on. It's not an us and them. It's an us. It's our problem. And I don't care whether you're responsible for it directly or indirectly. It's our problem. We all need to heal together. Same thing with foster care. Same thing with any broken system. If you can't be a foster parent, you can become what's called a court-appointed special advocate or a CASA, like the Spanish word for home. That's a, that's a basically, a, you become a your court-appointed special advocate. You, you help that kid. There's very, it's free to volunteer, obviously, and it requires very little time. You can... Um, if you have an old car seat that's not expired, you can donate that to a foster care closet. There are these things called foster care closets where you can you can either drop off new and, and or gently used. And please let it be gently used because these kids already come with damage. They don't they feel like used goods. You know, they deserve new things. When they go back to school, they should look exactly like all the other kids that have the new backpacks and new shoes and new back to school, you know. But you can donate those items to a foster care closet in your area. You can if you go to a church you can host a, um, you know, a parent's night out. Like we don't get, we don't get breaks as foster parents. There is something called respite, but the only time I've used respite, um, my son came back, Caden, who's now adopted, he came back with a diaper rash that was so bad I had to take him to the hospital. I mean, you know, it's just like, you don't, I don't want to put them with another foster parent because I believe that the majority of foster parents are not the good ones. You know, I don't want to take my child to another foster parent because I don't know what kind of foster parent they are. Because the majority of foster parents, as of this moment, aren't the good ones. The ones that are good are so good, but they need support. They need a break. They need a, a mom's night out. Or they need just encouragement from their church. Like, even somebody saying, I can see you. And same thing with the social workers. You know, there's a 30% turnover rate in social workers every year. What does it look like if you go down to your local Department of Children and Family Services or you call them and just say, hey, um, you know, I just heard this podcast and I had no idea how bad it was for you because they're overworked and they're underpaid. Like social workers are just like teachers. Hey, is there anything I can do to help you? They don't get that call. That sentiment or dropping off like a Starbucks coffee to them. You know what I mean? You can get those Starbucks. They come in the cardboard box, right? Uh-huh. You can just yes. bring the cups and the thing. They're not that expensive. What does it look like if you bring them that down to the DCFS and say, hey, I just got this for your office. I just heard about the issue and I just wanted to encourage you. You don't know if you are the straw 
you just took that straw off that camel's back and they were just about to turn in their papers and say, I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. What if it was their resignation day because 30% of them quit every year? You don't know what a small act of kindness does. And that goes back to Mother Teresa. You know, she says, we can't all do great things, but we can all do small acts of kindness with great love. And that is so true. I just believe that foster care is everybody's fight. I believe the same thing with the race issue. It's everybody's fight. It's everybody's, it is our fight as humanity. If it's a humanitarian issue, it's your issue. Absolutely. We all have to work together to get everything sorted out the way it should be. Right. And you know, it's a shame in 2020, no matter what kind of year this may have uh, turned out to be so far, it's, it's, it's quite a mm-hmm. shame that we're still dealing with, you know, r- race issues after all of this time. You would just think that there actually would be more progress. And sometimes it makes me wonder if there really has been as much progress as we sometimes think there has been. But uh, you know what? We have to yeah. keep at it. We have to we have to keep educating. We have to keep showing kindness mm-hmm. and understanding yeah. to each other and, and, and can't throw in the towel. It's just too important of an issue, just like what you're talking about with, with, with uh, fostering and, and all of the issues that go with it. You know, Jen, one thing I've learned in life is sometimes there's just more complexities to situations than we might imagine. And you've just laid that out with some of the challenges of fostering. Do you have a a, a statistic on how many children are actually in the foster care system across the country? Yes. Um, It's a little over, it's anywhere from 430,000 to 460,000. Um, right now, there hasn't been a huge influx of cases, which is extremely concerning to anybody who is a child advocate or is aware of the situation. And that's because we're all in isolation. And what you have in child abuse cases is that when there is a stressful situation, child abuse always rises because parents don't have coping skills. And so even good parents, if they're stressed out enough, you know, it might start with a spanking and it gets out of hand. And then it doesn't stop. That can happen. Um, and then the other complexity that, that lends itself to child abuse and neglect um, that leads to death. Because right now we have five children. Before the pandemic started, I'll back up. Sure. What I, well, first I'll say is, um, you know, it, it's, it's stressful situations and isolation. Isolation is a huge problem for domestic violence and child abuse. And the two are related. They are parallel. And when you have those situations, which is what we had, the unique combo we have with COVID, um, that's very scary for an advocate because we know that whenever this whole thing does pass and the country fully, fully reopens, I don't know what the death toll is going to be. And so going back to 2011, when I say that, 2011 is when I really started the child advocacy thing for, for my life, you know, I was awakened to the cause. Um, at that time, we had seen seven children every day uh, on average in the United States, seven children every day died to child abuse and neglect here in the United States. And that was largely in part because of the economic crash, uh, the housing market crash back in around 2009. And so uh, after a lot of heroic and amazing work from churches, charities, and just, you know, just amazing people coming together, we brought that number down and that statistic down to five children. Now, Five children every day. Now, Child Help, which is one of the charities I just love and support, um, they came up with a PSA that said, that's five too many. You know, five a day is still five too many. Five children a day should not be dying in the United States due to child abuse and neglect. 
But what I'm wondering, Stephen, and what experts are wondering about this pandemic is how high is that average going to go when we reopen and find the dead children? Because there will be dead mm-hmm. children behind closed doors. And that is scares me to no end. That is why that is scary. I am so, it's terrifying. Because I'm like, what's it going to be? Nine, 11, 13? I mean, how high is this number going to go? Because I, I, you know, I talk to doctors, nurses, lawyers, uh, police officers. They all email me because I'm advocating 24-7 on my social media. I'm talking about foster care. You know, I'm running a contest right now that totally 100% of my profit goes to building loving neighborhoods for kids in foster care. And so I've just been promoting the bejesus out of my foster care, you know, issue <laughs> since May. Um, and, and like more so, like every day, obnoxiously so. Like I feel like I'm blue in the face of talking about my contest so much. And so because of that, I've had a lot of, a huge influx of numbers and, and emails, um, doctors calling me, nurses calling me, telling what they're seeing. And now in the hospitals, their numbers were down. They weren't actually seeing a lot of COVID patients, but they were, they were starting to see, uh, last I had heard, which was three weeks ago. So God, I don't know what the statistic is now because it's getting worse and worse and worse. As of three weeks ago, they had, uh, over in Virginia, actually, the numbers had gone up a thousand percent DV cases, which is domestic violence, domestic violence cases and child abuse cases in the ICU had gone up a thousand percent over normal. Um, because basically people were abusing their child to the point that they were on the verge of death and, and only then and until then, or their spouse or their partner, only once they were at death's door, did they bring their child or spouse or partner to the hospital? Because there was like a moment where they realized, oh, actually, I don't want this person to die. And it's like, what? So there's an a thousand percent increase as of two, three weeks ago. And so now mm. I want to know what it is, you know, and, right. and, and it's just scary. It's just scary. But I just think 2020, you know, I think there's a lot more bad coming, but I think, I think there's a softening of people's hearts that's going on right now that I find really encouraging. And I do have hope that like this will all, you know, 2020 will be the straw that breaks all of our back and like leads us to a repentance and a humbling of our hearts to turn and love each other and act appropriately. I have to believe that. I believe that. We see that so many times in history. I mean, you know, yes. right now we're repeating the 60s, right? And sure, what came out absolutely. of the 60s was the Jesus movement. So I think there's a lot of good that can come out of horrible pain. Yes. You know, and I, absolutely. It's, it's unfortunate that pain has to be the catalyst for change, but sometimes that's the case. So I, I, I have to hope that we're going to see good things, you know? Well, uh, absolutely. Um, that I feel exactly the same way. And you know what, Jen? When, uh, uh, when you can actually realize that just going outside and taking a walk or going to your favorite department store or, do, or going to your favorite restaurant is maybe something you can't do right now for whatever the reason, right. you know what? That really shows you how things can change so quickly and the importance yep. of staying in the moment and appreciating all that you have while you have it. Um, I mean, yeah. that is one way and one lesson that can be taken from this. Uh, I've always been a person that's tried to have a grateful heart. I think I got that from my grandmother, yeah. who I called mom, because there was no stranger that didn't feel like a friend to her. Very kind person, a very strong woman, 
But she always made mm-hmm. sure that I was aware of being appreciative of anything I had. And it stayed with me to this day. Mm-hmm. So, well, I really appreciate you sharing all of this valuable information, your insight. Uh, you're very passionate about it, very sincere. <laughs> yeah. You must have a Thanks. very big heart, Jen, to, to care so much. And I really admire that. And, um, well, let me see, how did the, like your situation right now at home, how many children are actually, uh, now living with you? Four. Four. Okay. Wow. That, that must keep you busy. <laughs> yes, yes, very, very, very. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you what, I, I have one son, he's now 19, but I have to tell you, I, I love those early years, Jen. There's so much fun. You get to be a kid yourself. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm. We just started sleeping through the night a bit more, so I'm really. I'm, <laughs> that's where I am in the stages of things, and I'm very grateful for it. I'm like, oh my gosh, I got a six hours good <laughs> Now you've yeah. adopted how many of the four children? Um, Katie, my four-year-old, is adopted, and his little brother is in the process of adoption. It was gotcha. like, delayed a little bit because of COVID. Um, so we're just waiting on that, and then. Um, my 21-year-old is no longer in the foster care system, but we are gotcha. delighted to host her, and she's wonderful, and we're just kind of helping her, you know, transition into being an adult, but she's awesome. Well, it sounds like a beautiful family, and they're very lucky Thank to you. have you. Uh, you know, I'm thinking of your podcast now, so to all my listeners out there, to all my friends and listeners that I how I often call them. It's her show. Jen Lilly's podcast show is called Fostering Hope with Jen Lilly. And it is, it is about much of the theme that we've talked about today, Jen, for the most part. And I want to encourage my mm-hmm. listeners to take a listen. I listened on Apple Podcasts, and I've already subscribed, and I'm looking forward to listening oh, to more episodes. You. So I wanted to be sure to mention that out there. Is it available on other platforms besides Apple, like maybe Podbean or Spotify? Yeah, it should be. Um, yeah, my producers tell me it's available wherever people listen to podcast so i would assume that means all over the place but i can only speak for myself you know i'm like i listen on apple podcast so i don't know all the locations but yeah they said it's available um, wherever you listen to podcasts well, you know, Jen, I would love to to speak with you for a bit about your time on Days of Our Lives, but I, this gives me an opportunity to, um, this is very interesting to me. So, mm-hmm. you know, with me being an actor, and of course, you have accomplished mm-hmm. so much as an actress, and now you're doing a podcast show. I do a podcast right. show, so we can understand a lot of the the challenges we might face as a host. But what have you learned? Because you've only done this for a short time, is that correct? Yes. So what have you learned about about podcasting that you did not Um, maybe take into consideration when you first did it? (laughs) Well, I learned about the thing called the marker, which is where if you have a flub, it's like, hey, no pressure. We can hit this thing called the marker. And then my editor knows that I can fix your flub. And I was like, that is wonderful. Because before, like my first episode, I was like making notes. Like I was like, I'm so sorry, but I think I... You know, I would just kind of like talk like, hey, Brian, like, sorry, I'm going to restart that sentence. And I didn't know how to add a marker. And he was like, hey, can you add a marker? I was like, yeah, sure. Can you show me how? So I learned um, that, which is fun and tech savvy. And then um, I learned, you know, different microphone levels and things like that. So it's really fun. I I love (laughs) it. But I've so enjoyed hosting my podcast because it's just 
such a nice break to be able, because I'm a workaholic, it's such a nice break to be able to have meaningful conversations with people. So it's been my joy. I've really, really enjoyed it. Well, I wish you much success. I look forward to listening to Thank more you. episodes. And you know what? The thing that I, one of the things I love about podcasting, like speaking with wonderful people like you, who I learn lessons from my guests, it's just amazing. Sometimes I have to pinch myself, all the incredible people I've spoken with over the last few years. But you know what? When you think about it on like talk radio, for example, there's often time limits, a lot of commercials. And you know what? The beautiful thing about podcasting, Jen, I'm sure you realize this, of course, is that, you know, you have much more freedom to dive into something that's important to you. Yeah, it's funny that you say that, because I was just saying that to my husband, um, because I just love conversations, and especially I love foster care, so I can go down, like, rabbit holes with people, and then be like, oh, wow, that episode was really long. Um, So I was just telling him, I was like, I need to put time limits on mine, because I, sometimes I'm looking at these numbers, and I'm like, I'm so sorry, this one was like an hour and 15 minutes, you know? (laughs) But I just just can't stop the guests from going, because I I don't want to stop them. I want to know everything they know, you know? Well, I'll tell you what, Jen, I've actually had a few two-hour interviews, just so you know. <laughs> wow. I'm kind of known for for that. Of course, some of them are shorter. You know, so for me, I just kind of, um, I don't necessarily have a time limit unless I have a request or something. That's different, of course. I just try to end it in right. a natural way, and that seems to work for me. But hey, let's get back to acting a little bit, if you don't mind. So I have a great appreciation and admiration for those who work on daytime. I've had a lot of guests from, uh, for example, The Young and the Restless and All My Children and so on and so forth. It's refreshing to have someone from days. So I want to say thank you for that opportunity. I was actually thinking about that recently. So I couldn't ask for a a better person. So thank you. Uh, Would you mind sharing the audition experience for your character on Days of Our Lives? Is is there any story there? Oh, my gosh. Definitely. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Um, Oh, my my gosh. Um, Okay. So I... (laughs) I had done general hospital before I did days of our lives. I yes. was like a pinch hitter sub in for Kirsten Storms, who is lovely, who plays Maxie on general hospital. And prior to that, I had only done comedy and I had even been told, don't ever try to network with a, um, a soap opera casting director because you're not pretty enough to be on soap. So I was like, okay, cool. Thanks. Um, so somebody I said that to you and I was, Oh, yeah, for sure. I used to hear that all the time. Oh, They'd be like, you goodness. know, you're pretty if your mouth isn't moving, but then <laughs> really expressive. Oh, my and they're goodness. like, you're, just, they're like the- you're so awkward. And so, like, don't ever try to be on soaps. And I was like, well, that's fine because I don't watch soap operas. And so they I need was some like, I, I'm not Trust me on this, Jen. But, uh, thank you. But I was just like, I, I didn't care. I love comedy and I just didn't know anything about soaps, really. And all I had known about soaps was that they were like, I thought they were dramatic and that was, you know, they were overacted, but they're not overacted. They're actually acted appropriately. It's just that the stakes are so high that you have to have your emotion on your sleeve, you know, at, at all yes. times. And, um, and, and you'll get fired. Like, if, if you can't cry and you can't get there emotionally, they'll just recast you. You know, it's the weirdest thing in soap. So, anyway, my um, I started on General Hospital, and once you do one soap, you're kind of just in that community, which is cool. Like, soap operas, it's like Hallmark. Like, they're one big family. It seems that you end up knowing all the other actors on all the other soaps or um, – not always, you know, there's still like a soap actor. I'll look up everyone's going, I'm like, I have no idea who they are. And they're like, you're beautiful. And it's like, oh, okay. But, you, you know, you have <laughs> friends. It's just a, a tight-knit community. So when a they ask me to do days, 
Yeah. And so the point is, is like after I did general hospital, like days of our lives was interested in me. So I was like, okay, well, um, I don't think I can ever do another soap because at GH, I just, it's just, there's so much work. Like there are 40 pages a night, you know, that you're memorizing Mm -hmm. and you have one take, there's no teleprompters and it's a lot. And I just was like, I just don't think I can do that again. So they called my agents and they said, you know, we, we want to generally to audition for the role of Teresa and the role of Jordan, which ended up being played by Chriselle Stouse, who is a lovely, lovely, lovely human. You should totally have on your show sometimes. She's incredible, and she's an incredible oh, That would story. be very nice. Oh, she's amazing. She is amazing. Um, she's amazing. And um, anyway, so so I thought naturally I would be more suited to play Jordan because she, at least in the audition, appeared to be, you know, Miss American Cherry Pie, which is generally what I felt, which is why I'm a good fit for Hallmark. And it's the way I live my life off screen. So I was like, Okay. And so then I read Teresa and she is this coke snorting, sex maniac, one night stand. She had five felonies. Two of them were assault and battery. And it's like, I'm like a hundred pounds wet, you know, like I I can't even do a (laughs) push-up to save my life. It's like, I am not a tough person. And when I'm angry at something, people think it's cute. Like, it's oh, like, okay. I, I don't, I can't play a tough character. I'm like Shirley Temple. Like when I'm mad, <laughs> people are like, that is adorable. And I'm like, I'm That's really what mad. they would say yeah. of Shirley, isn't it? Oh, look how cute she is. Yeah, like, she's, oh, she's, she's mad. So cute, rubbing her foot, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so I was like, there's no way they want me to and I even called my agents and manager back as a joke. I mean, obviously I'm literate. I can read, thank God. And I said, um, I'm, I'm sorry. They said, you know, we wrote the role of Teresa with Jen Lilly in mind. And I was like, what? So I was like, I have never played a character like this. Are you mean Jordan? And they were like, oh, they said Teresa. And I said, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. I need you to, um, can they spell Teresa for me? Because there is no way the character that I'm reading is the character that they wrote for me. And I talked to Marnie Sayeda, she's a casting director. She's like, no, I really, I know you can play this role. I know you can play this role because she'd known me for years. And I was like, Marnie, I cannot play this role. And she's like, you can do it. And I was like, I don't think so. So I'm reading it again. This character so just like not your not not your pure girl that I wanted to portray. And I was like, I just don't want to play this role. And I I I started grappling with it because I'm a Christian, and I was just like, I, I can't. I mean, like I, I just played Esther. I just played the Queen Esther, like in the movie Esther. Like how everybody knows I'm a Christian. I'm not. I'm not shy about it. Like how am I supposed to explain this as a Christian that I'm going to play this character, Teresa? Like, I can't do this. And my manager, who is amazing, and I preach at all the time, he's like, okay, I'm going to need you to take your own advice. Like, have you even prayed about this yet? And I was like, no, bitch, but I know, like, I can't play this role. And, and he's like, well, why don't you just pray about it and call me back? So I remember exactly where I was. I was driving on the 170 freeway, right when I marched off of the five, I was on the overpass. And I will never forget this moment in my life. And I'm probably going to cry because it like, I cry every time I think about it because it was just so good. Oh, okay. And I started praying about it. And one of my favorite Bible verses, by the way, I can't remember which number it is because I'm terrible at numbers. I think it's Galatians 1.10. But regardless, it's in Galatians. And the verse says, am I now trying to please men or am I trying to please God? Because if I'm trying to please men, I make myself an enemy of God. And I've always taken that verse to heart. Like, 
at the end of the day, I have to answer to God, which is why I am so bold about my faith. Like, and I love people. That's what all Christians should do. I want to be an example of love to people. But at the end of the day, like, I don't answer to anyone but God. So I'm just going to have to do what he says. So I'm driving on this freeway. I'm on this overpass and I start praying about it. And I'm, you know, very begrudgingly playing around it. Like, I already know I'm not going to do this role. It's my attitude. And I started praying about it. And it was one of those distinct moments in my life. I've only had a few that are so clear like this, where I literally like goosebumps felt the Lord, like in my car. And I had this moment where I heard him so clearly. He said, this is your role. And I said, what? And he said, this is your role. And I listen to this guy sometimes in Graham Cook, highly encourage him. He's amazing. And he always says, you know, God does things outside the box sometimes, which he does if you read the Bible. And I said, he says, you can't say no, Lord, because that's an oxymoron. If he's Lord of your life, you're not allowed to say no to him. You're only allowed to say okay. But you are allowed to ask why. Why, Lord, is a valid question. So I heard twice. This is your role. I don't mean an audible voice. I mean, I heard it in my spirit, but like it was so outside of my thoughts that like I knew it was God. And I said, he said twice, this is your role. I said, what? He said, this is your role. And I said, why? Why, Lord? Like, why do you want me to play this role? And he said, God, he said, because Teresa Donovan is the exact condition that the world was in when I sent my son to die for them. And I want that audience to know that there is no pit so deep that my love cannot find them still. And they are never beyond redemption. And I want a Christian to play this role because you know that when that guy walks out the door and she's just had a one night stand, you will play that, you know, in soaps, they have this ridiculous thing where they hold the camera on you. And he said, you will play that unspoken moment and the audience will feel the actual remorse and doubt and lack of self-worth that a woman feels when she feels like she's just been used because she used her body to get love and instead the guy walked away. And you will show the brokenness that when that high wears off, it didn't fill her because only my love can fill that hole in someone's heart and that cry in their soul. And so this is your role and I want you to take it. And I was like, crap. So I. I went for it with all my heart. I booked it. And then right after I started airing, I had the Christian Post, which is like a Christian newspaper. And they're, they're great. But they wrote a scathing article about me saying, this mm. girl just played Queen Esther, whatever. Now she plays this slut, you know, on TV, whatever. Like, clearly she's not a Christian. And I called them up. And I said, hey, um... Like, lovingly. I was just like, hey, because I don't believe in, like, throwing anger for anger. I was just like, I, I, you know, you're Christian. Like, you're not, like, the Bible says judge not lest you be judged. Like, you didn't call me and ask me why I took that role. So you can think right. that. That's okay if you think that. But I would love an interview with you because I want you to know why, as a Christian, I was commissioned to play that role. And it was uncomfortable for me. Like, I've only been with my husband, and I'm not, it's not like a preachy thing, but like, I'm not the girl to know, like, 
his sex scenes all the time. It was like, I don't know what this is supposed to look like. You know what I mean? Like, it was like, this is so <laughs> uncomfortable. Like, this is so uncomfortable for me. Um, but I was told to play that role. And so it was like, okay, then. that I'm going to answer to God. So, you know, it was a crazy audition story. And it was just, like, so outside. And, and it was just amazing because when I left the show... Teresa, like, totally even built a church scene for her, and she goes and she prays to God. Because she says, like, at this altar, she says, like, no one else will help her because she's such, you know, a broken girl. And she doesn't know who else to turn to, and she's scared for her family's life. That was my exit story. So good. And she finally went to the church, and this guy comes in, and he makes fun of her. He's like, Teresa Donovan praying. But when I was praying... As Teresa, I got to say, like, I guess you really, I guess it's true. I guess you really are an all-loving God. I mean, so far you haven't set the altar on fire. And she's just like, look, you know, like, I'm not good at this. Like, I obviously know I don't go to church. And I, uh, I don't even know what to say to you. I just, I just, I, I need help and I don't know who else to turn to. And it's like, that is God. That, that, that's the God I worship. Like, he is just so quick. He's slow to anger and quick to love. And, and there's no pit so deep. Like, if you are, you are still breathing and your heart is still beating, it is not too late for, like, the creator of the universe, the one who created you, to still reach down and fill you with love because his thoughts toward you have always been love. And it's insane to me. So, yeah, I mean, it was a really humbling experience. Well, thank you for sharing that. And, wow, you know, it sounds like it took some courage to portray this character. And I really like how you emphasize that, hey, I didn't get a chance to tell my side of the story, why I decided to play this character, that there was, you, you believe that there was, hey, there's actually a bigger reason behind me portraying this character. So I think that is just absolutely wonderful. And, and, uh, and I will say to their credit, they did run a second article. There and, you go, a follow-up. And that is what, like, that is what Christianity is about. And that's what, it's like well, the same good thing with what's hear. going on in our nation right now. It's like, you know, nobody is perfect, but you need to recognize your mistakes and then just correct them. That's all people ask for. They ask, they just ask for you to be transparent, you know? That's all we're asking for. <laughs> that's right. And I really appreciate you um, uh, sharing that audition experience and and you of all people know there's a lot of hard work on on a daytime drama and you know oh what, one of the things the i love about soap <laughs> operas jen is that it's like emotional adventure to me it's you know when yeah. you watch a scene there's a most it's adventures of the heart and i just love that me too yeah yeah it was my favorite role it's my favorite role i've ever played for sure yeah well, I'll tell you what, I've heard a lot of good things about your performance, and and Thanks. I just want to say congratulations on a, a, a very impressive career so far. And most definitely, I admire all of your efforts with uh, foster parenting and the issues behind it and adoption as well. Now, if folks are listening Thanks. out there, Jen, how can they uh, learn more about you or more about these topics, uh, uh, such as a website, or where would you tell yeah, them yeah, to yeah. go? You know, I mean, honestly, right now, because I'm hosting this contest, and even if they're listening, it doesn't matter. My whole life, this will be true. If you go to my music website, which is Jen Lily Music, jenlilymusic.com, or you can just go to jenlily.com. It'll link you to that site. But jenlilymusic.com, 100% of my profit from anything that's ever purchased through my music website, which is my... I have these cool t-shirts that say, I just want to um, listen to music and change the world. I have a coffee cup that says, I just want to drink coffee and change Ooh. the world. I have oh, a great that, album on that's there what I that need. I just yeah, right? I just want to drink <laughs> coffee and change the world. I love you know? coffee, and it's like, it's not like it's, 
It doesn't have my face on it or anything. I do have some of those views because some people like that. But it's like anything that's purchased on my website or any of my music that's ever purchased, 100% of my profit will always go toward building this neighborhood for kids in foster care. So that's a great way to, you know, learn more, support my efforts. And then on my website, I have my podcast. You know, I have all of the stuff. So that's where they can learn more. Or they can follow me on Instagram, which is Jen, J-E-N underscore Lily, which is L-I-L-L-E-Y. Well, you just keep doing wonderful things. And if there's ever anything I can do to help get the word out, don't (laughs) hesitate to ask. Just let me know. You're so kind. Thank you so much. Such a delight talking to you. Well, the feeling is mutual. (laughs) Thanks. Have a great day. Play with girls like you play with.
Hollywood and Beyond podcast created, produced, and hosted by actor and writer Stephen Brittingham. Thank you for listening.